How is everybody? Happy Father's Day. You say it back to me. <clears throat> there you go. Good. Thank you. Glad you're here. I, I was looking at a website this week about, you know, the best things about being a dad. And so I, I, can't, I, I saw some of them that I really liked. Uh, your kids think you know everything that lasts just for a season, but I do like that season. Uh, actually, it's really interesting. When they're really little, they think you know everything. And then when they're teenagers, they don't think you know anything. And then when they get a little older, they want you to pay for everything. So uh, it's kind of seasons of that, it seems. Uh, getting to work alongside them, I always love that part of, of being a dad, showing them things. You know, my kids uh, I have girls, and so uh, we learned how to, you know, use the drill and some of that kind of stuff. So I always like doing that. Um, they make you slow down, which is true because they won't come on. Uh, they make you feel young again. Uh, so uh, Miriam and I, we had three daughters sort of uh, relatively young I mean we weren't young young and then we had a uh, a break and then uh, we had a surprise and her name is Elise and uh, she is here and that's kept us young and so uh, it's really great we love her uh, dad jokes uh, part of the part of the beauty of being a dad is dad jokes let me tell you one okay I've got some how do you tell the gender of an ant put it in water if it sinks it's a girl ant if it floats, it's boy ants. <laughs> ah, that's a good one. Okay. What do you call a carp wearing a tuxedo? Sophisticated. Ah, there you go. That's all I got. Okay. Um, they make you more aware of your bad behavior. That's kind of true. It's like you don't want to, uh, when you're driving, I can't say all the things I really want to when the kids are in the car. Uh, there's nothing better than making them laugh except when, you, when they're proud of you. And that's true. One of the greatest things about being a dad is when your kids say they're proud of you. They give you a new uh, respect for your own dad. And you get to teach them things. And I love that part. Maybe that's part of just who I'm, how I'm wired, but I like to teach my kids stuff. And so I've had the privilege of teaching all the girls how to drive. And um, they're all great drivers, you know, most, mostly because of me. All right, so, because Miriam didn't contribute at all um, to that. So, Scripture talks about God as our Heavenly Father. And as our Heavenly Father, He has this obligation or He takes the, takes the initiative to teach us things. So let me set up where we're going to be today um, we're going to be in Leviticus 25. It's a traditional Father's Day message. Uh, not really. Um, Leviticus 25. You know, so there's Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. And you kind of get in the deep weeds eventually in, in the Old Testament. There's a lot of rules and stuff. But God was wanting his people to understand about life after slavery. And so um, the, the, the Jews were enslaved for 400 years. God delivers them. They wander in the wilderness for 40 years, and then they enter promised land. And God wants them to know how to live in the promised land. And, and so the Lord shows us, shows his faithful followers the way they should live. And he's always done that. And so in Leviticus 25, that's where we're going to be today, he, he sort of shows us what to do with stuff. So, so let's start with a question. What is your, or what are your favorite possession or possessions? Like, what would you run in the house? If the house is on fire, what would you run in to grab if it's in your house? Maybe it's your car. I mean, maybe it's, uh, maybe it's your house. Maybe it's an album of pictures. Maybe it's, 
something that your grandparents left you, a, a grandfather clock or a, a quilt that your, your great-great-grandmother made. I, I don't know what it is. But what, when you think of things that you really like, what's the thing that comes to your mind? I mean, it's like a rhetorical question you don't have to answer, but, but if, if you had a, a, a blank on the paper, what would you write down? Because this study today, God is sort of showing us about stuff and what we're to do with stuff. Uh, I really, I really enjoy watching the Antique Roadshow. It's one of my favorite shows. Uh, I'm a nerd, and that's kind of one of those things. But you, you know that the idea is they bring uh, an item to these appraisers, and so uh, I always try to guess. You know, that's worth. Art is so hard because they'll bring art, and I'm like, oh, that's awesome. That's got to be worth a lot of money. And, it, and you know, it's like, it's, it, this is worth $7. You know, it's like, oh, you're kidding me. And then they'll bring the ugliest painting on the planet, but it was done by, uh, uh, you know, Fonchon uh, Fignon and uh, the famous French artist, Fonchon <laughs> Fignon, or Chinese, I can't tell. And, um, and it's worth like a billion dollars. And so uh, the Antique Roadshow, well, the, the thing that's always funniest to me is they'll bring something, they'll say, uh, this is a cup of tears from the Apostle Paul. You know, I was like, uh, this is what I have. And, and the appraiser will go, oh, that's worth $100,000. And without exception, well, it's not true, but so, uh, occasionally they'll say something like this. Oh, this has been in the family forever. We would never sell this. You know what I'm saying? I'm saying to the appraiser, how much you give it for me right now? I mean, I will sell it right this minute. Because for me, I'm not very sentimental about stuff. But I know some people are, and you might have a favorite thing. And you're thinking to yourself, I might not like this sermon today because we kind of get attached to stuff. And we got a lot of stuff. I did some research on this. In the United States, there are about 2 billion square feet of storage units uh, for rent. Two billion. Uh, the statistic is about one in every 10 American has extra storage. Super interesting about that. Homes have gotten bigger and families have gotten smaller and we still need storage. Do you realize from this location, if you go a mile, less than, actually you can probably see it from our parking lot, there's a storage unit place up here. Uh, Subaru Road, down Subaru Road, there's a storage unit place. You go to um, a little further, there's a storage unit place. You go up St. Mark, which is right here, there's a storage unit place. They're every place. In fact, for my home, I think there were seven within three miles. They're everywhere. The, the one up on Subaru Road is multi-level. You know, you can not only rent on the first floor, you can rent on the fifth floor. There's, there's so much need for storage. And so we, uh, who are Americans, are obsessed with stuff. And so today we're talking about something called the year of Jubilee. If you'll recall, we're, kinda, we're call, calling this summer old school, and we're looking at some of these sort of interesting things that God taught his people through symbol and through, um, through teachings and through kind of commandments. Some of these things that he taught us in the Old Testament and they're, these, they're really applicable to us today. And so in Leviticus, this year of Jubilee is something that God established, and it's really kind of interesting, and let's jump right in. On the Day of Atonement, time out just for a second, the Day of Atonement was that one time every year where they would offer a sacrifice for 
all the nation of Israel, for all their, our sins, all their sins. And so I was trying to think, you know, what is the sort of modern equivalent to this? Probably the closest we come to is Easter. Uh, everybody that's a Christian, for the most part, celebrates Easter, and, and we, we celebrate the, the sacrifice. You know, Christ made a sacrifice for us, and it's good for all time and all ways. Well, the Jews didn't have that. They had the Day of Atonement, and this was a time the high priest would offer a sacrifice, and on that day of sacrifice, the, the entire nation would be cleansed of their sins. That was their day, and so... Uh, God is saying, on the day of atonement of the 50th year, blow the trumpets loud and long throughout the land. The trumpet was called a shofar. It's kind of a ram's horn. It was loud, and so it, it was a big deal. Everybody knew that the 50th year was here. This year is to be set apart as holy, a time of, uh, to proclaim release to all who live there. It will be a jubilee year for you. When each of you returns to the lands that belong to your ancestors and rejoins your clan. And I was thinking about that. As a guy from Kentucky, I'm not sure I want to join my clan. You know, I'm kind of happy with you people, uh, frankly. Uh, but that was, the, that was the rule. So they would blow the shofar, and the word jubilee is the, um, uh, the Hebrew word yobel, which basically means to release or to re liberate or to be free. So, all the land everywhere, um, the, these slaves came into a land and God divvied it up. Can you imagine that task as God? You have to give everybody a, a little piece of land. As a dad with three little girls, I remember anytime we divvied something up, it was never fair. No fair, she got more. And so I can imagine how this went with you know hundreds of thousands of people. God divvies up the land. And the thing about giving somebody land is you give them potential. Because land is potential. You can do anything with land. You, you can build a house, or you can uh, open a shop, or you can grow a crop, or you can learn to mop. Uh, you know, I'm sorry, I uh, got in the, like Dr. Seuss. Uh, you, you can do lots of things with land. You can, you know, dig a pond. Um, there's lots of stuff you can do with land. So God gives them land. He gives them potential. But what he's saying is, this land that you have belongs to me. <laughs> and every 50th year, it goes back. So what would happen if you had... You know, 50 years is a long time, right? I mean, think about all that's happened in the last 50 years. There's a lot of stuff that's gone on in 50 years. And so... Let's say you, God has divvied up some land and you have a little plot of land and you've been trying to grow some things and they've not grown and you had two or three bad years and you find yourself extremely poor. Well, poor people didn't have a lot of options. You can't get loans. You didn't have the government bailouts or anything like that. And so if I was extremely poor, I could sell my land. And if that didn't work, then I could sell my kids uh, I could, I could you know, sell them into slavery. I could sell myself into slavery. And that happened in that era. Those were things that actually happened. And so God goes on to, to tell them, yes, the 50th year will be a jubilee year for you. During that year, do not plant any seeds or store away any of the crops that grow naturally. And do not process the grapes that grow on your unpruned vines. 
It will be a jubilee year for you, and you must observe it as a special and holy time. You may, however, eat the produce that grows naturally in the fields that year. So he said, hey, 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 don't touch the grapes, but you can do this stuff in the field. So if you have a corn, uh, corn field or you have a corn patch or you have tomatoes, I don't know what they grow in the Middle East, but uh, whatever they grew, you could, you, could, um, you could harvest those things. In the year of Jubilee, each of you must return to the lands that belong to your ancestors. You have to go back to your roots. And the old-timers would call this uh, allowing the land to go fallow. You would let it go kind of back to nature a little bit. You'd give the land a chance to breathe, you know, kind of to, to catch its breath. And it was a year-long divergence from the norm. And, and you and I, we, we, have a, we have a routine, right? And so I'm just going to be honest with you. Uh, Elise, uh, earmuffs. Uh, uh, Father's Day, it's like, well, Father's Day for me every year is a Sunday, and I've got stuff to do. And, uh, you know, there's gifts and all that stuff. You know, I, but, but I've got stuff to do. I, I kind of like my routine, I did, I did like the gifts, though, at least, uh, ex- except she got me some mints that were horrible. Uh, but other than that, it was great. Um, and she did it on purpose because she's a punk. Uh, she got that from her mother. That's Mother's Day. Anyway, we, we get in a routine, a rhythm in life. And, and this was God sort of stopping all that to, to some degree. Now, how many of you would like that? Like, how many of you would, would, could you take a year, and you're like, yeah, I could take it. No, really, seriously, a year of not doing what you're used to doing? Because it would really be tough to not do what you're used to doing. And, and, and God is like, okay, I want you to take a whole year to do this. Can I tell you a joke? It's not good, but I want to tell it anyway. There's a guy and his wife, and it's their 50th anniversary, and they've just come from a party, and they're driving home from their 50th anniversary party. And the wife looks over, and there's a tear kind of trickling down her husband's cheek. And she says, honey, did did you not have a good time at the party? Didn't you think it was great? And he said, no, it's the best party I've ever been to. It was great. She said, well, was somebody not there that you wanted there, or somebody there that you didn't want there? He goes, no, the, the guest list was perfect. She said, well, honey, why are you crying? And he said, well, 50 years ago, your dad brought a shotgun, and he said to me, if I don't marry you, he'd put me in prison for 50 years. And I was just thinking, I'd be a free man today uh, if I'd gone to prison. (laughs) I told you it wasn't good. Uh, All right, so... It's, it's kind of gold. Uh, it's kind of gold. Okay, so what God, God wants to teach us, modern people, some things about uh, life through the year of Jubilee. So let's talk about a couple of them. Number one, we are stewards of things, not owners of things. And he said, this year will be set apart as holy when each of you returns to the land. So you give up. So just think about this. You have purchased a plot of land. And somebody asked me this after the first question. It was brilliant. Um, If you bought a plot of land, then you would prorate it. Like, I'm only going to get this for 30 years, or because the year of Jubilee is only 30 years away. Or I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to prorate it. I'm going to buy 20 years worth. I'm, I'm basically leasing the property until the year 
of Jubilee. And I've never leased a car, but I kind of know a little bit about it. And if, if I'm not completely right, then just forgive me. But I think this is how it works. When, when I was looking into it many, many years ago, this was how it worked. Um, you, you rent a car, or you lease a car, and, and you sign a contract, and you commit to, I'm going to you know, lease this car for 36 months, or 48 months, or whatever it is. There, there's always a, a limit of time. And, and then... In the contract, they will limit you to how many miles you can drive with a lease, I think. This is how it works. And so they'll say, okay, so it's 36 months. You can drive 10,000 miles a year. So any mile over 30,000 miles when you turn in your car, you have to pay a penalty. And uh, if the car is damaged, if there's work to be done, then that's your obligation. So if I were going to lease a car, I would be very diligent to keep it under the, uh, the allotted miles. I would take good care of it. I would make sure that when I turned it in, I didn't have extra fees. And, and so in some ways, God is saying, look, everything you own, you're stewarding for me. Because God is the owner of all things. This is all, you know, none of it is is ours. And so God has given us this opportunity to, to work the land that isn't ours. God is the, the owner of all things, and we are to steward it well. Look what he says. Remember, the land was never to be sold on a permanent basis. It's not what it is, because it really belongs to me. And you are only tenants living with me. And God is teaching us about stuff to not be so clingy with things, to not hold things so tightly. In the dating world, I think this is still true. I haven't been dating for a long time, but I don't think men love clingy women, and I don't think women love clingy men. And if you're clingy, you should have gotten that memo. Uh, People don't like that very much. And God is saying, don't be so clingy. And there was always sort of this termination coming up. I've got the land for 30 years or 40 years or 50 years or whatever years. But there's going to be a termination of this lease if I've bought the land. And eventually it goes back to my ancestors. Now think about it. If I own this plot of land, then it would behoove me to to be able to to keep up with it, to not overextend myself, to keep up my land, because that's our family land. And we're going to keep it, and we're going to keep doing stuff with it, and and we're going to keep working the land. Now, God really never said don't have wealth. He he really doesn't talk about, you know, he just like don't hold on to wealth. Look look at what, there's a guy named Paul, he wrote much of the New Testament, many several books in the New Testament, and he writes this to a, a young preacher. Command those, so he's like, hey, I'm your, pre- I'm your mentor teaching you, young preacher. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth. And too often, if we're not careful, we can put our hope in our 401k, or we can put our hope in you know, our, our uh, occupation. And he's saying, don't do that. Don't put your hope in wealth which is so uncertain. And there are probably, if I opened up the floor to testimonies of people who have had um, situations where the economy turned on them, 
There would be people that could stand here and give you testimony today in this room. Hey, I overextended, or we thought things were going good, and it really went bad, and we got, we got uh, in trouble quickly. doesn't take long. It, it is, the word is uncertain. You, you can be wildly wealthy one day and not the next. And, and so Paul is saying, dude... Teach, uh, teach people, teach, teach your people not to put all their hope in wealth. It's uncertain. But to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. And for that entire 50th year, their only thing they can do is depend on God. If God doesn't provide, they go hungry. Now, they, they have to go harvest the things, but they can't till the soil. They can't. This is all... This year is all a gift from God. And then he says, command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, to be generous and willing to share, to, to, to not hold on to stuff too tightly. In this way, they'll lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of life that is truly life. Don't take... Uh, don't hold things with a tight grip. That's what he's basically saying. You all know that old adage. Uh, you never see a hearse pulling a U-Haul. You all know that one. You do see them pulling a, a boat sometimes. So you, just so you know, um, you can't go fishing, I guess. <laughs> For we brought nothing into the world, and we take nothing out of it. And so all of those things, if you have a cup of the tears of the Apostle Paul, you don't get to take it with you. And... and too many times we lose sight of that. And so in the year of Jubilee and today, God is saying, look, I want you to steward the stuff really well. If you borrow a tool from a friend, well, you're going to treat it really well, right? You're going to make sure it comes back to them good. I mean, you don't borrow a, a shovel and return it broken. If you break it, you buy them a new one. This is how you're to... To treat things. If it's somebody that I love or respect and I borrow their stuff, I want to give it back to them as good or better than I borrowed it. God is saying, I'm giving you these opportunities, whatever you have, whatever you possess, treat it like it was mine because it is. Second thing, really important. We're to treat people fairly and with respect. Okay, let's back up just for a second. Remember, you can sell yourself or your family into slavery. If you got really poor, you could do that. If one of your countrymen becomes poor among you and sells himself to you, do not make him work as a slave. God cannot be more uh, specific here. Don't treat them like they're not your people. They're, they're, they're your people. They're, <laughs> they're cousins. They're kin. They're people. He's to be treated as a hired worker or a temporary resident among you. He is to work for you until the year of Jubilee. And let's say a dude gets hard up on his luck and, and he sells himself to you and you have him for a certain amount of time. And, and the, the notion around this is when his time is up, when Jubilee happens, you send him on his way with your blessing and with gifts. So he never has to do this again. 
Have you ever thought about how humiliating it would be to have to sell yourself into slavery? As a man, every man in here, look at me. When you couldn't provide for your family, God's saying, look, these boys have suffered enough. They're humiliated. You don't treat them like a slave. You treat them like people. They're people. He's hard up on his luck, man. You treat him with respect. God wants us to honor people who serve us. That applies to today as well. You go to a restaurant, there's a server. You go to a, a, a store and they're checking you out. Somebody that's serving you. You treat them fairly and respectfully. One of the things that always... Is discouraging to me is when I go out on a Sunday after church, and I don't do this very often, but sometimes Miriam and I will go uh, to lunch someplace, and there are people, and you know they're church people, and they're rude and dismissive. Don't do that. It's interesting to me. I am, um, as a pastor, you have, you know, gravitas. Uh, people will respect me, uh, which is great. I, I, I like that. But I've not always been a pastor. I've had jobs where I served. One, one summer, uh, I worked at uh, the Texas baseball field. The ballpark in Arlington is what it's called. And I was a vendor. And so there are people that paid for tickets. <laughs> and then there's me with my little hot dog bucket. And I was, I was shilling hot dogs. Sometimes I did Cokes uh, or Pepsi, whatever they sold. Uh, sometimes I did Cracker Jacks. That's fun. Uh, cotton candy flies off the shelf. I made tens of dollars working uh, there that summer. <laughs> tens of dollars. And you'd walk up and down. You had your own little zone. Unless you were selling peanuts and Cracker Jacks, and then you could walk everywhere, because nobody wanted those. Uh, so if you, had, if you were selling uh, soft drink, then you had a zone up and down and up and down, and you would say, you know, uh, Pepsi, ice cold Pepsi. Or, uh, uh, my, my thing when I had hot dogs was hot diggity dog. I'd say hot diggity, uh, and you'd try to sell them. And it was always surprising to me how incredibly rude people were. But when somebody wasn't, they took the time to be kind and courteous. You made notes. Because most people weren't like that. See, Scripture tells us, be kind. Let's just, that's enough. Treat people with compassion and respect. And God was teaching this thousands of years ago. Hey, hey, when that year of Jubilee thing happens, and if somebody has sold themselves into, uh, into servitude for you, you treat them like family. Third thing, 
It's vital to rest. During that year, do not plant any seeds or store away any of the crops. Don't do any work. Give the land a breather. Take some time to rest. It's one of the Ten Commandments. Remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. And I've been thinking about this whole thing. Taking a year to not do what you do. And it, I don't know that I could do it. Last year, I was supposed to take a sabbatical. You know what a sabbatical is? It's a, like a study break. I was supposed to take seven weeks. I got to thinking about it. You people would run amok in seven weeks. I mean, uh, good grief. I've gone a week and you go crazy. Uh, uh, seven weeks. Like, there's, so I thought, well, I'll, I'll be gone four weeks. I, I, think, I think I made it four weeks. It was horrible because it was out of routine. I hated it. And God is saying, hey, hey, do this for a year. I mean, my word. He, he's saying this is what you're supposed to do. And some of this is we begin to think we are so important we can't be done without. <laughs> when I was 40 years old, I had a heart attack. Pastor of church. You talk about running amok. You talk about hard to, to, to... I mean, that was a hard church. They about killed me. Uh, so I had a heart attack. I'm, I'm, out of the, I'm out of the pulpit for seven weeks. By force. I came back seven weeks later. Guess what? Church still there? People still coming? More people than, actually, than when I was there originally, which isn't a good sign. Uh, <laughs> that's not good. We're not quite as important as we think we are. And God is saying, look, you've got to take your rest. Probably the best book I've read in the last 10 years is a book by a guy named John Mark Comer called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. If you've not read this, I highly recommend it. The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. And he talks about busyness, and he says this, the solution to an over-busy life is not more time, it's to slow down and simplify our lives around what really matters. We're busy. We get busy with a lot of stuff. It's just not a lot of stuff that you need to be busy with. Would you agree that Jesus did more in three years of ministry than anybody that ever walked the planet? That, I mean, let's just, we'll stipulate that's true, right? Jesus got more accomplished in three years than most of us combined will ever do in our entire lives. I mean, he was phenomenal. He never missed a Sabbath in those three years of ministry. He took, as far as we can tell, Ten retreats during those three years of ministry. There is a place in our lives where once we work more than this number of hours, then our productivity drops off the end of the table. Lots, tons of research around this. You, you work a certain amount of hours, and when you get there, then everything else, you're just hardly productive at all. The number is 50. At 50 hours, then your productivity drops way off. Well, 50 hours is, I mean, I'm no mathematician, but that's six, eight-hour days. Right? I mean, it's close. 
God has built into us a rhythm and an ability where we need to rest. Jesus said, Come to me, all who are tired from carry heavying burdens, and I'll give you rest. Jesus promises rest. God built into the fabric of the nation of Israel the idea of rest. It's not a luxury. It is a necessity. I remember when my three uh, oldest girls uh, were little bitty, little bitty. They loved to play hide and seek. And I liked it too because I would hide someplace where I could lay down uh, and I'd really, really hide and hope they didn't find me for an hour. Uh, I could take a nap. We, we need our rest. We just need it. Even, even back then I needed it. It's God's design, it's God's design and desire for you to rest. And you have to make a commitment to it. So every 50th year, God was like, they're not going to rest unless I tell them to. And so you told them to. You got to rest. You got to let the land, you got to let the land rest. You've got to rest. And so he put it into the rules. This is how you do it. The final thing, God and not things, brings real freedom, brings real jubilee. Remember the word jubilee means to release or to, to, uh, to free. So Jesus was one time, he went to his hometown, he goes to the synagogue, and he, uh, he's a guest rabbi, and so he gets to teach, or gets to read the scriptures. And they hand him the scriptures, and he unrolls it, and this is what he reads. Listen to jubilee language here, by the way. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to what? Preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom, to proclaim jubilee for the prisoners, and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed. See all this jubilee language? To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. It's almost like Jesus is saying, Jubilee is awesome. And then he says, Jubilee is me. Then he rolls up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened to him. And he began by saying, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Jubilee is me. That's what he said. Jubilee is this picture of forgiveness and not holding on to things too tightly and not stressing about everything in the world. Jesus, uh, Jesus talks about Jubilee as this picture of, of eternity. Look at what it says in Hebrews. God's promise, that, God's promise that we may enter His place of rest still stands. And then the author says, we're afraid some of you think you won't enter the place of rest. We've heard the same good news you heard. The answers was heard. But the message didn't help them because they heard it, but they didn't believe. We who believe are entering that place of rest. So there was 40 years of wandering. There's no rest in wandering. But then you get to go to the promised land, and that is where you find your rest. This is God's ambition for you. 
Not, not to be completely, totally stressed all the time, but to find rest. Again, Paul writing to a young preacher named uh, Timothy. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven. Listen to this Jubilee language. The trumpet call. Remember how we started the year Jubilee? Trumpet call of God. First all, the, uh, first, all the Christians who have died will rise from their graves. And then together with them, we who are still alive and remain on earth will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air and remain with him forever. There will be a trumpet call just like at Jubilee. There'll be a freeing of people. There'll be rest. This is kind of the picture of heaven. All right, end with the story. Young executive, he was blowing and going. He was climbing the ladder, but he was just not happy. Spiritually, he wasn't where he wanted to be. He knew he was working too hard, working too many hours, and so he decides he's going to take a sabbatical, take a time away. And so he finds this monastery that, would, that houses people like him for a, a period of time. And so he uh, signs up for a two-week stay at the monastery. And so he shows up, and they take, obviously they take all your electronics away. And, and so they, uh, the head monk, Mr. Monk, I, I don't know what his name is, uh, he's showing him around, and he's, he's like, okay, well, here's, here's where we pray, and here's the cafeteria, and here's your room. And it's this little you know, spartanly decorated and uh, uh, appointed room, and there's, there's a bed with a really thin mattress and a little table, writing table, and an oil lamp. And then he says this. I want to quote it because it's great. I hope your stay is blessed. If you need anything, let us know. And we'll teach you how to live without it. <laughs> I think that's great. If you need anything, let us know. And we'll teach you how to live without it. And there's something to be said for contentment. The Bible says there's great joy in contentment. When Jesus is our freedom, when He is our jubilee, then we don't worry about all of this stuff. We just don't worry about it. I'm going to pray a blessing on us. And I'm going to ask that God would fill us with a spirit of jubilee, of freedom today. Okay? Lord, I thank You for my friends who are here this morning and I pray blessings on them. And we pray that Your Spirit of Jubilee would be heavy upon us. That we would have freedom from guilt and shame. That we would have freedom from stress and worry and anxiety. Father, I pray that we would be free to live completely devoted to You. Father, show us Your way. Help us slow down so that we might know You best. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.